and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Happy Lovely. I'm Danielle. And Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey. Thanks for, thanks for joining hey, us again. Hey, Mark. Hey. Yeah, so I wanted to put out an episode this week. This is our Oops, I Threw My Back Out episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sucks, I got dude. water in my nose when you said that. I'm sorry. Hopefully for the first and only time, I threw out my back on Monday, and I've been laid out and in a lot of pain this week. Obviously, I still wanted to record an episode, but I didn't really have the stamina to do all my notes and everything. Like, I don't know if you've tried to, like, look at a comic book while you're on your back. He's in bad shape, guys. I feel really bad for him. It's not easy. So I just couldn't really do it this week, but I still wanted to put an episode out. So I'm so glad that Mark could be here and we can hang out. We're going to do some listener feedback. This will probably be a shorter episode than usual, but... That's okay, because you got a three-hour episode last week, right? <laughs> yeah, it evens out. <laughs> epic episode. It that was out. a monster of an episode. I, I still can't get over that. But at the same time, there's just so much. I mean, it, it makes sense, but wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it was great, because before I even got up that morning, Mark had already shared it onto Mike Mignola's art, and you had even commented, my God, it's nearly three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that... Uh... Actually, saw before you post because I always see yours post and I repost, and so I saw Mark. So it was crazy. <laughs> he even asked me. He even asked me. He was like, "Do you think I should split this up? Is this okay? Are people gonna? I mean, this is." I was like, "Do it. Yeah, just do it." Well, we actually. Um, <laughs> what else are people doing right now? Come exactly. On. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. we actually some behind the scenes stuff. We actually recorded like a little to be continued, and then another intro, so that way I could split it up into two episodes. But then ultimately, I decided just put it all out as one monster episode. It works out because y'all get a shorter episode this week. And like like Daniel, so what what else you got to do? Right now? Unless you are. Working, in which case, thank you very much for your service. But if it's something where you can listen to stuff while you're doing your job, then there also yeah. that yeah. out. So there you go. So this is an all Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy stories, and we interact with our listeners frequently. And Danielle will tell you all about it now. Here's what you do. We're going to we're gonna tell you what you're going to read, and then you're going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it, and then you're going to listen to us talk about it, and then you're going to talk about it too by sending us a email that's a hey damn guys or you get on the social media and then we're going to tell you again and then that's going to happen some more and then you talk to and then that's friendship and then there's other people who is also doing that so that's more friendship back to you john all right excellent so if this is your first episode you know i doubt it but if this is the first episode that you're tuning into you know maybe listen to one of them where we're actually going to read a book club story on this one we're just going to be doing the listener feedback on our monster episode from last week so now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Get out, trade some floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along in time. Get out. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from Wes Mattis. Oh, hey. He says, Hey You Damn Guys, I'm drinking with Skellingtons here. <laughs> this is Wes. <laughs> You know right. me as yes. at Wes Mattis from social media, or my full name, Wesley Mattis. Matt Ice. <laughs> it's Ice. He said, like, Matt Strackbine and Ice, like what Broom found. So, Matt Ice. Matt Ice. So, we've been saying your name wrong. Sorry about that, bud. You damn guys have actually pronounced it right more often than not. Okay, oh, so okay. there you go. <laughs> With all that's going on, I hope you all know how comforting and happy I am to have you guys around and operating regularly. Aww. I hope you all stay well through all of this, and that goes for everyone in the book club. Friendship. It's crazy what is happening in our world, especially in context with the BPRD hell on Earth. Anyways, this email has been coming for like a year and a half. I tried to keep it short, but that was impossible. I wanted to write you all with an email for a long time, and I appreciate you reading the social media comments. First to Danielle, Miller High Life is good. No. <laughs> there are plenty not. of better beers, but there is a right time and place for it. Second, have you guys ever tried horseradish pickles? Have you ever tried those? That sounds amazing. He said they're fantastic. I have not. You can find them at Aldi's. Oh, it sounds good. We have the Aldi's here, right? I, wait, to, just to clarify, are you talking about pickled horseradish or like cucumber pickles with horseradish in there? It says in the horseradish brine. pickles. So I... Yeah, just clarify. Clarify. Or which I could one. Google it. I yeah. suppose I could just Google that. We could just go down to the Aldi's and look for it. See if they have curbside pickup, right? 
Yeah. Third, speaking of Neil Diamond, <laughs> me and a group of friends became obsessed with obsessed with Neil after watching the movie Saving Silverman, which we loved. Check it out if you haven't seen it. It's not a much watch movie, though it does have Jack Black, who is great. I think I've seen I that. I love right? Jack Black with We've all seen my Saving heart. Saving Silverman. Oh, I've seen Saving Silverman. Yeah. Uh, it came out on video when we were working at Hollywood. Yeah, I remember. That's what I remember it from. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think I've seen that, but I love Jack Black. Some backstory on me and my relationship to Hellboy. I grew up in Connecticut, just outside Fairfield, like the original BPRD headquarters, and just outside New York City. Eventually, I did find my way to Maryland, where I dwell now. And I actually almost took a job in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I started reading comics at a young age. My older brother of five years would walk me to the comic book store or Barnes and Nobles. I basically lived there, would read and look. As a matter of fact, every place I've lived, I've always found my comic shop that becomes my second home. Just like you, John, whenever I travel, which is too much, I always slip in a local comic shop visit. Even if I have to travel an hour out. Yeah, it's super interesting to see like just all the local little weird because they still exist and it's amazing that they still exist in the age of all the hyper mega corporations where there's like three companies that own everything and everything's exactly the same. You know, every whatever store you every wall every Walmart you walk into is going to be exactly the fucking same as every other Walmart. But when you go to these little local hole in the wall tiny town shops, they're always just so completely different and weird and everything. And it's just, yeah, I'm fascinated by doing that. I love doing that. You find gems there too. It's incredible. Uh, at one store I found like an omnibus that was out of print and they still had it there for cover price. Yeah. You know, and you just go, hell yeah, <laughs> well, that's and awesome. The, and the local culture just within that shop is palpable as soon as you walk in every time. You can tell that that's just like, like if it's the only fucking comic shop in that town or something, or it's like one out of two or three, you can just tell it's like locally owned. All the people that are in there are in there like every day. They all look at you like, who the fuck are these people? It's great. I love it. Yeah. I just got to give a shout out to my local uh, comic book store, Comics Etc. Since the whole, you know, COVID-19 thing, they've been doing um, a show every day, oh. at, you know, just a live streaming thing for like an hour where they just talk about comics. That's great. It almost always goes off topic into, you know, bizarre Australian <laughs> 90s cartoons and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, shout out to our local comic shop, Bedrock City, here in Houston. You know, they've been um, delivering stuff or, or shipping stuff out to the customers. They ship me my subscription box. And they're also right. doing live Facebook sales every Wednesday. And so they have, um, you know, key issues that they're pulling out. They have them at discounted prices super awesome so if you check them out on social media i guess anyone could participate right because they send them out so yeah check out bedrock Mm. city every wednesday they're having a a local sale yeah the this um my store's doing a similar thing they're doing daily sales where you know like they'll just have for that 24 hour period just a sale that um goes on there yeah they're doing some really great stuff i uh i got uh cosmic odyssey at last so oh, I'll be able to read nice. that. nice. Yes. That's another yeah, great Mignola. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you'll have to let me know what you think of that, Mark. Yeah, I will. He also says, I was a frequent Comic-Con attendee, usually small ones, but when New York City Comic-Con opened in 2006, Bill and I went every year until recently. In 2007, 8, and 9, or, or I forget, I'm bad with time, when Mike Mignola came to New York Comic-Con for the first time, I met him on one of the earlier days before the con had kicked off for the weekend. We had friends with tables and Mike was eating. From what I remember with his wife, I said hi, trying to leave him to his day, and he struck up a conversation with me right there. Signed my sketchbook and did a little doodle. I was completely starstruck. I was a freelance artist, art director at the time, and wanted to be a comic artist. Mike was unbelievably gracious. The next day I came back with a stack of issues to get signed. He remembered me and everything. That's so nice. I also remember... I also remember a guy hanging around his table chatting him up, blonde hair, side satchel bag, from what I remember, and now, after hearing Mark Tweedell's stories, I wonder if it was him. Were you with Mignola at New York City Comic Con, Mark? I was, 2012, and side satchel bag, that does sound like me. Wow! Oh, wow! That's pretty cool. Oh, wow, that is... Oh, my God. I'm kind of, like, just... Unable to process that. <laughs> friendship. Book club members, friendship. You didn't even know it. You didn't from even know you past. were next to a wow. book club member from the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What a small wow. world. He says the next year Mignola was going to do a presentation on how to break into the comic industry. And you know I wasn't missing that. 
even if I have to fight an Ogdruham. While the presentation was delayed, something came up, and this group of guys came up to the front of the line and said, we have something to tell the line. Is anyone here loud? I said I was a coach and can be as loud as you need. Oh, wow. They asked me to tell the line that Mike wasn't going to make it, but Scott Alley will do a presentation. I made the announcement and someone screamed, who is Scott Alley? I turned like an Jeez. idiot and asked the proposed question. Scott turns to me and says something like, I'm Scott Alley. I'm the editor of Dark Horse Hellboy in the BPRD. <laughs> I was beat red and told him I'm in. Oh, man. Even though I messed up knowing who he was, he gave me a shout out for helping him notify the attendees. He was with John Arcudi at the time. And later on the floor, I was able to thank them in person. And Arcudi signed my Abe Sapien, the Abyssal Plane <gasps> issues that I had. Wow. That is so cool. First of all, the, the fact that <laughs> you're immediately cool? like, I'm loud. I'm a coach. I'm loud. Like, that's super that's helpful yeah. in that moment. That's, that's amazing. But second of all, like, don't be so hard on yourself because, you know, I, writers and artists, they go to cons all the time. They're, they become recognizable over time. Yeah. I don't know how many editors I would know just out and about. So right, it's not right. like he makes it his business to be a recognized face. Sure. But yeah. That's funny. I'm sure he I'm sure he got a chuckle out of that. I don't think he's he's gonna be <laughs> <laughs> Wes also says, obviously I'm in a hundred percent support of a Mignolaverse con and would help in any way possible. I had a thought we could even just have meetups at cons organized by local book club members in the area and post it somewhere before the con. Yeah, that would be amazing. That would be so great once we start having cons again. Yeah. I am also a big fan of the Letterman jacket idea. It's not a Letterman jacket, but I did a Hellboy jacket a while ago and attached images. And so I'll share pictures of that this week. He has a really killer jacket with all the cool patches and some of the skeleton crew pins on there. I am still very much in favor of the jacket. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. we got to do that. He says, anyway, back to where we are in the reading order, Hell on Earth was an emotional roller coaster. Like Mark, it was hard to revisit this run, but I was glad to reread it with the book club. I have recently gotten my boss to start the reading order and subscribe to the podcast. My wife has started reading the book club order as well, and we go back to episodes of the book club when she is ready and listen. My wife and I bought a house close to a year ago, and before we got furniture and stuff, we got bookshelves for our trades and hardcovers. Yes. I attached a picture Priorities. of the Hellboy section. We still have some stuff we need to get up there. I attached pictures of the decor in the entertainment room as well. So trying to find the right place for some more art. With Lawrence Campbell, we we're talking about the fingerprints. He says there's a bunch of fingerprints in his style. And I bet it's intentional. When Johan is underwater in the first page of Chapter 4, there's a fingerprint on his face. There are more fingerprints on the cover of Chapter 5 all over the skull. Wow. He also said when we see Vavara pick up the fly ring... That is totally something Skeleton Crew should do as a replica. Oh, man. Yeah. And he also <laughs> liked Aubrey's association to Johan's power with the Chronicles of Amber. He says he loves that series. Oh, uh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder with the Vril if they are able to set the path of the world to a different reality. Mm. Can they access different realities? Like in the last page of BPRD Cometh the Hour, Chapter 4, when we see Johan open his eyes and when Redding tells us about all possible universes... I wonder if this means the Vril energy can open up to the Baltimore universe. The Outerverse, if you will, Joe Gollum. We see Howard and Abe travel mm. through time and Liz almost teleport. Just a thought. Also, you guys brought to attention the Watcher and the Giants looking similar, but they also have a similar look to the Black Flame. Yeah, and I think we talked about that last week. And again, I don't, I personally yeah. don't think it's a time travel scenario with Howard's. I think that it is a reality. Right. But, but like you're saying, that does support your theory because it has everything to do with the vril so i think there is something there absolutely that it's you know kind of a you can access other right. realities or timelines or whatever dimensions whatever you want to call it and i'm not caught up on all the outer verse stuff mark is there a connection there i guess without spoiling anything you can't say much right uh the outer verse at the moment is its own thing okay. um like yeah they, they've compartmentalizing it I, I don't think they have any plan to cross it over but I wouldn't roll it out. Right. But maybe this particular book club member is, is talking about his own headcanon where there is a potential. Oh, yeah. For oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, no. for, which I respect. Saying, yeah. I respect yeah. that. You know, you can. There's a there's a potential there that use your imagination. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> there are certain elements that certainly, you know, like feel like they could belong in the same world. But then there's other things that like 
you know, blatantly contradicting um, the two universes. I mean, like the Outerverse, um, it's going to be fun, actually. They're doing some stuff where they're going to be exploring uh, an alternate World War II, which um, I'm not even sure if it is World War II anymore. Like it, by their measure, it might even be World War Three, but who knows? But wow. that's what he's saying. He's talking, it's like alternate realities and stuff like that. So yeah. that totally fits yeah. in with what he's saying. So that's that's cool. I'd be interested to check that out. And Wes also tells us all the stuff that he's been reading. He's been reading old Kirby Lee and Ditko Lee runs for Marvel. He also liked the Silver Surfer after Fantastic Four. Other comic read recommendations from him are Black Science, Harrow County, Descender, Black Hammer, which we were just talking about before we started recording, Black Magic, Headlopper, Rumble. He's been reading the recent run of Doctor Strange and new Marvel run of Conan by Jason Aaron. He's been really enjoying the DC Vertical Sandman universe stuff like Books of Magic, Lucifer, The Dreaming, and Hellblazer. Those are the books I've been popping into during this time outside of the Mignolaverse. I was very happy to hear after BPRD The Devil You Know that you guys plan to keep going. Thanks for all you damn guys do with the book club. Your Aww. work is greatly appreciated. Stay safe and healthy. Hellboy Book Club member 1218, Wes Mattice. <laughs> yeah, Wes, that was an awesome letter. Thank Aww. you so much, man. Very sweet. Great to hear from you. We got a Hey You Damn Beautiful Guys from Brendan Carter. <laughs> He said, I just finished episode 89 literally not a minute ago, and I had to let you know how wonderful it was. What a journey this has been. I'm so happy to have stumbled upon your podcast back when you were still battling the Plague of Frogs. <laughs> Hearing you three and then four and then sometimes five discuss these amazing books is absolutely one of the highlights of my week and has deepened my love for the art that is the Mignolaverse. Thank this you so all. so sweet. You guys are being really sweet. And Brendan also said he loves the idea of getting the shapes tattooed. Yes. I've been mulling over a design containing the shapes and the Nick Cave lyric, all things move towards their end, oh. ever since reading The Magician and the Snake. The thought of this community being connected through that image is pretty beautiful. Yeah. Love and Vril, Brendan Carter. And John and I were talking about this, uh, you know, everyone could have their own take on it. It could just be the shapes or it could be... You know, like John was saying, oh, I just want this panel of these shapes. And I was uh, like, that sounds cool. There's a panel in the Amazing Screw on Head where it just says solid objects. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's on that first page. Mm -hmm. of I think that's a cool idea. I like idea. that one. I kind of lean more towards, oh, I want to, you know, like, okay, do you know that panel in the uh, in the Magician and the Snake where it's them on the rooftop, they're flying the kite, and the snake is on his shoulder, and they're looking up? Yeah. I'd like that. And then I'd like above, like, the celestial... You know, the stars we see at the very, very end that are mm. over the house. And then, but it's kind of like statuesque, the wizard standing on top of the shapes, kind of like the statue, but it's not a statue. It's like the actual shapes. And then like, so I, I have like this big, wow, you really thought plan. of this whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And so obviously in Mike Mignola's style as well. So, but uh, yeah, so like, I feel like it could be as elaborate or as simple as you want it to be. But, you know, as long as it features the shapes, I think that that kind of ties us all together. Um, so it's not, it's, you know what I mean? It's, it doesn't have to be like a specific, uh, one, but it could be, um, just like on that theme. Yeah. That's a cool idea. Mm -hmm. We also had a, Hey, you damn guys from Paul from Gardahar, oh, wow. our resident musician. Oh, hey, Thank you, Paul. He said, I'm fully on board with getting the shapes as my first tattoo. <gasps> yeah, that would be his wow. first tattoo. That is yes. so crazy. I completely encourage you to do this. <laughs> he said, uh, <laughs> he also quoted this interview. And so I'll post this link that he shared. Mike commented on the shapes before. Quote, the magician had made these shapes disappear. And everyone said, you're a great magician. It's like people saying to me, you're a great artist. Well, I don't feel that I'm a great artist. I feel like I get credit for being better than I am. So that's the feeling that went into that. And then the shapes come back. It was sort of like someone saying, you know, you're really not that good. Again, it's a very complicated emotional thing, which is why those shapes are very important. Because to me, there's something very personal about my own creative thing. And that's what makes him good. Do you know what I'm saying? Is yeah. that he's always going to be striving yeah. to hone his craft and, and explore new things about his craft and he's never going to be like oh i'm done learning about that he's always going to be striving to learn more and 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 explore more and i think that that's that's what makes you a good fucking artist right, like right. that's th thinking like i'm not good enough i i have to constantly keep working at it and exploring and discovering new things and that's what makes you good and so that's the paradox is the people who think they're not good artists often end up being like the best right artists. right but that's cool. I like that. That's, I do like that. Really... Thanks for sharing that, Yeah, Paul. thank you for that. 
Jason Abaddon said. Jason Abaddon. <laughs> Say it, Aubrey. Sorry, I had it on mute. Book club member. There you go. <laughs> he said, hey, cool. I'm listening to the podcast now, and I'm happy to hear you liked my idea of Roger being influenced by Liz's soul, Vril, Sacred yeah, Fire. Yeah, yeah. we talked about that for a long time. He said the one-shot story Ghost Train seems to show this very close nature between them as well. Liz says Roger was a husk when they found him in this story, and she's very protective of him. Yeah, I'd forgot about that story. That was way back in the first BPRD trade, I think, but they do have a story where they're kind of like together. I really like that one. The art is great on that one, too. Um, and he also mentioned, so I forgot what I said last week is the name of that BBC series that had the cormorant. It's called the cormorant. Oh, but wow, it got, yeah. uh, it, he says, stupid me, a victim of autocorrect. So anyway, it's called the cormorant for BBC and it's it tight. has a cormorant in it. So yeah, we got to check that out. We had some feedback from BPRD, Hell on Earth Cometh the Hour. Evan R. Houston said, I love Johan, probably one of my favorite characters ever. Mm. And Jason Abaddon said, Johan goes out swinging like a G. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Unruly Ian says, oh, it's so good and creepy. When I posted the pictures of Lawrence Campbell's monster work. Oh, yeah. He said, Guy Davis will always be my BPRD-ist, but Campbell is a very close second. His designs and renderings are eerie. And then, as always, Stuart's coloring makes everything sing with yeah. its terrible joy. Every artist has their own, obvious things to me, super obvious that they have their own style. But, like, they all bring something else to the table as far as BPRD is concerned. I think, you know, like, they all have um, their own special little, yeah. little thing, little spin that they put on it. And Clayton Schofield, he, he liked that term, BPRDist. Yeah. And he says, I don't know if I could pick one. I think Mignola and Cole do a fantastic job of finding artists for this universe. So is could you say that there's someone who's your favorite artist in the BPRD? I mean, like I said, they all have their own, you know, like they all, well, I like them all for different reasons. They they all have their own style and it, it all adds something to the universe for sure. My, my initial reaction is to say, ooh, I really like, and I'm just going to throw out a name. Lawrence Campbell, but then like, what about James Heron? Then I'm like, well, what about um, uh, Peter Schneiberg? What about uh, Guy Davis? You know, yeah, no, I, I can't really pick. You know, I think Guy Davis comes uh, to mind first for me, just because that's how I was introduced to the BPRD. And for me, Guy of, Davis yeah. was the man for a long the time. Cl- yeah, for a long time, it was just it was all about Guy Davis. And but it yeah. also depends on what type of style you naturally gravitate towards in other sequential art. Yeah. books as well you know so it's that's going to influence you know who's your main be a pretty artist as you know it's it's all a matter it comes down to a matter of um taste one and then two you know storytelling and the stories that they told and so that's you know yeah they all kind of bring their own strengths to the table sounds like we need to do another survey oh uh, that would be great yeah <laughs> we could do another survey or another ranking like i always Sometimes it for me it's almost about like the character. Mm, yeah. Like it like Abe yeah. like Abe was a very Guy Davis for me, but then as the series went on, then it's more like Fumara. And when I think about Abe, I think of that yeah. version. You know what I mean? Whereas Liz, mm-hmm. as when we get towards the end, I'm thinking of her more in the Lawrence Campbell style. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. I don't know. Wh- yeah. What do you what do you think about that, Mark? That's pretty much yeah, where I'd I'd be leaning towards. Like I find like um there's also like these little moments that um come through like these defining moments and and if that's like a defining moment for that particular series that suddenly becomes sort of the defining look of that series if that makes sense like for me um i have to say guy davis simply because there's that moment in um the black flame mini series where rogers just died and liz hears the news and she's just walking down a hallway going to his room and lies down on his bed and those two pages are the most spectacular, the most beautiful thing. I I love them so, so much. And for me, that, that defines BPRD better than anything else. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because like when I think about Kate, I think about the Universal Machine mostly, you know, and that's Guy mm. Davis. And like that's probably my favorite Kate story. And so, yeah, it's it's so interesting the level of influence that the different artists have. And like you said, those defining moments. I would love our listeners to chime in on what are some of their defining moments with the characters and the artists. I think that's a great uh, little combo. I like the idea of like uh, thinking about the which artists you like doing the character most. So 
you know, like, like I agree with you, like John, when it comes to Abe, I like Jamara's version, the Fumar Brothers version. Um, but like, you know, with, um, with Kate, I'm gonna have to go with, I think it was Mignola. She was the, he was the first one to draw her, right? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. That, yeah. There's, there's that one scene, is it in Wake the Devil where she's falling down? Oh, Wolves of St. August. Was the same August where she's like falling down and it's like it's all black except her jacket is blue and all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's but a I very different. Defi- for some reason, that image always comes to mind. I don't well, know why. And then right after that, she has that ghost moment where she sees the ghost of the werewolf girl. That's another defining moment for me. I think. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah, for me, um, the defining moment for Kate was uh, that scene at the end of Conqueror Worm. You know, when she's saying goodbye to Hellboy and everything, and I just. I don't know. There was for me. There was something really cool about the way um, that character could have easily been set up as a love interest, and instead just ended up being like a really good friend. Uh, I don't know. I think platonic relationships in general are um, not played as important as they are in real life. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, I, I really like my platonic relationships in stories, and there aren't enough of them. Yeah. I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. Uh, CLA Comic Book Binder also chimed in. In honor of you guys talking about Come of the Hour, here is some of my Lawrence Campbell and Seba Fumara original art. Thanks for talking about such an amazing end to the Hell on Earth series. I love it so much. And uh, so you know who they are, right? They, uh, You worked with them at Multiversity, Mark? Yeah, yeah. That's Chris. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah, he does uh, the reviews with me on um, University. Oh, that is so great. And he has such an amazing collection, too. Um, you got to check us out on Twitter to see some of those original art pages. Uh, and I shared that original art that I got from Hell on Earth, the one by Lawrence Campbell. We talked about it last week. Jerry Turnbull said, Lawrence does real people and emotion and mood so well. Great page. And Luke Knight yeah. David Aldred said, makes you realize the power of black and white art. Growing up with mainly black and white comics in the UK, it's probably my first love. And then another great reason to follow us on Twitter, Lawrence Campbell actually responded to that tweet and he shared, um, thought you might be interested in the process. Here's the page I sent in with tones added in Photoshop. So remember I was talking about how I thought that Dave Stewart did the stars. No, Lawrence Campbell did that in in Photoshop in like tones afterwards. Oh, that's so cool. And then uh, Dave Stewart colored it. That is so cool. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I totally missed that tweet. I've got to see it. Yeah. And I I definitely saved the high res scan of that. Yeah. Yeah, So uh, we had just assumed that... uh, you know, Dave Stewart had put that in there, but that's so interesting to know that Lawrence Campbell did that. That's great. So yeah, it was really, mm. really cool. So I'll share that on our other social medias as well. So you can check that out. Thank you again, Lawrence Campbell yeah. for sharing that. That's so, so cool. We had some feedback on Abe Sapien, the desolate shore. Jason Abaddon said, I see the biggest parallel between Abe Strobel and Hellboy blood Hellboy on the island. Yeah, so remember the in the island, he fought that other version that was made of his blood, but it was evil. And he says, and then again, between Liz and the Black Flame, there are evil versions of our heroes. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I love that parallel. So like Strobel, the evil blood Hellboy from the island, and the Black Flame are like the three evil versions of Liz, Hellboy, and Abe. Oh, yeah, okay. That's kind of neat. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Okay. They need uh, like goatees, though. So, <laughs> so we know that they're evil, well, we know right? COA <laughs> Comic Bindery again said, listening to you guys talk about these pages and thought I would post the page that I already showed you so it could go with this post. The original art actually has blue line pencils and more gray tones than the pages above. And the later page is still for sale. So yeah, if you want to go to Splash Page Art, you could actually buy one of those pages where it has the red watercolor from Abe killing Strobel. Well. Yeah, I was checking that out. Oh, nice. One thing about Seba's pages is that they are so alive. His ink has high sheen, and he uses Why Not to help highlighted areas of the page. Just amazing art. Yeah, and Lawrence Campbell also had some white out on his to highlight some of that stuff. I think some artists also use, like, white acrylic as well. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember with the... Oh, the James Harron pages I've got where it's got uh, um, the Prospect Park sequence. It's got, like, light coming in through the trees, and there's, like, these bits of white that he's, like, added to the page to get that, that you know, like, um blowing out the lens kind of look. Oh, nice. A lot of those pages, after they've been inked, just resemble more 
paintings than drawings. Yeah, yeah. I recently was lucky enough to get this sketchbook from Ben Stenbeck, and he drew a Hellboy on the inside <sighs> cover, and he put some white in there, and it looked like white outer white acrylic, and it really has a nice mm. effect, yeah. like on the horns and on parts of the face. Really cool. Realizing that negative space. That's always cool when you book. get a <laughs> sketchbook and you find that they put an original like sketch in there. Yeah, so nice. it was really cool. Mm. We had some feedback on Hellboy in Hell, The Spanish Bride. Ryan Yule, he has the page that shows Hellboy murdering Satan. He Jeez. has that page, so that's pretty incredible. Wow. Oh, sweet wow. page. And he also says, speaking of Hellboy's wife as a snake in issue nine, I own the original art for the issue three cover. Wow. And one time I posted it online saying... I like to think the blood is from killing Satan in the previous issue and the snake is Hellboy's ex-wife who coaxed him to do it. And then Mike responded with the following comment, as good an explanation as any, and a happy accident about the snake as I hadn't yet realized when I drew this that his ex-wife was that snake. How excited do you think he was when he was like, oh man, I can Somebody, do this. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's so into this that they've already figured it out. Like that would be so flattering to be creating something knowing that people are so in tune with what you're doing that they actually end up guessing what you've already got planned. Like that's that's incredible. Jason Avedon said, anyone else get Lady Macbeth vibes from Hellboy's wife pushing him to kill Satan? Yeah, so they talked about oh, Macbeth yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, in that, so yeah, of course. The English I'd... play. It's <laughs> <laughs> off so many Scottish people. We had some feedback for Hellboy in Hell, for whom the bell tolls. So Jerry Turnbull, he sent me a message. He said, "I think in the end, it's not ordinary lightning that Hellboy calls down, but good old Flama Reconditus, the Vril itself, as the Hand once called it down when it was part of Anum. The Hand itself was infused with the power of God when Anum stole it." It's been a vessel of this higher power uh -huh. since day one, maybe. Yeah, I agree with all that. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. And Ryan Yule said, the living room in issue 10 is definitely Mike's. He either told me one oh, yeah, time definitely. or I read it. Oh, wow. I can't remember, but he wanted Hellboy to end up in his living room at the end of Hellboy in Hell. So Aww. he knew where he was in case he wanted to take him out again to write more stories. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I think that just makes that so much better because it's like, so that merely does mean at the end of Hellboy in Hell, he just came home. Yes, Aww, exactly. That's so sweet. And I like how this is a a, a piece of lore that no one knows where it came from or like where it was said or when it was said, but this is just something that everybody knows about. Part of the reason why um, if you try looking for that information online, you won't find it, but you'll find all these people talking about it is because uh, Mignola did an interview um, and they had the interview in his house and he's literally sitting in that room in the interview. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, but I think Jerry Turnbull <laughs> also sent me a picture of that interview um, or a screen grab oh, of cool. it. Oh, cool. Yeah, because I've been looking for it. I, I couldn't find the interview again. I well, I, I'll have to send it to you, Mark, because Jerry Turnbull, he sent me a screen grab. He had posted a picture online of the picture of Mignola in the living room, and he had said, this is the same room as the end of Hellboy in Hell. And then Mignola even commented on it. He said, my wife says we need to put up more pictures like in the issue. Aww. Because in the issue, like, <laughs> like Matt and I were talking about, there are all these pictures all over the walls. But when you see the picture of him actually in the living room, at least at that time, there are not very many. I want to say there are just one or two things yeah. up. Yeah, it's a slightly embellished version of his uh, living room. But it has like the same couch and the bookshelf and the wall and all that stuff is is exactly the same. So yeah, I'll send you a picture of that, Mark, and I'll post it on our social media as well. Jerry shared that with me. Um, I cannot find like where Mignola originally said this, but um, there was a whole thing about like, you know, when he's wandering to that house and there's these skeletons on the beach? Yeah. He said this whole thing about like the skeletons representing certain people like this one represents scott alley this one's um dave stewart and things like that and i wish i could find the exact quote because i don't want to misquote him about that that is so cool i love that like who's the one in the cage <laughs> right <laughs> i think that's mignola oh that is so funny <laughs> oh, that's great oh thank you for sharing that with us yeah if anyone has any knowledge on that please let us know it's 
really difficult to find some of these things because like the the terms you need to search are just too broad right but i love how like danielle said it's 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 its own lore yeah everybody's got their little pieces of it that they've oh, been one in- time i heard yeah that i said this about this <laughs> yeah that's so great you know um i don't know if this is the same video that you were referencing last week but ross radke sent me a video where they were talking about hellboy and hell and they all they talked about how Mignola is obsessed with lore, and then the ending of Hellboy in Hell is lore because it's the other character saying it. Uh-huh. And one thing we didn't talk about, I was actually pretty proud because almost everything that they talked about in the video, we talked about in our discussion. <laughs> so that made me feel pretty smart. Mm. But one thing that they talked about that we didn't mention that I really liked was whenever they cut to the demon telling the story, he's facing us. Yeah. Like he's almost breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. He's looking at us as the reader. And telling the story. And I really liked that good, too. Yeah. I really liked thinking Aww. about that. Like it's it's a piece of lore now. Whatever happened with Hellboy and and the ending of Pandemonium right. or whatever. Like it's become its own lore. And so for a series that loves lore so much, then they created their own legend in the end. Right. Where it's just kind of like this tale that's going to be passed down throughout hell and stuff like that. Which I loved. I loved thinking about that. And it's like... There will be these little interviews scattered all around that some people know about. They're like, I think I heard him say it somewhere. No, I read it. I read it in some article in the back of some book somewhere, and it was never reprinted. So I don't know how to find it. And you know what I mean? It's never been transcribed to the internet. So like, it is it is lore at this point. But like, everyone seems to agree that it happened. And then like, you know, Mike Mignola is a super nice guy. He'll he'll can either confirm or disconfirm this stuff online if you ask him. Right. He'll be like, "Is this your sketch?" He'll be like, "No, that's a knockoff. Don't buy it." You know, stuff like that. So yeah, that's um part of the thing that um I, I like about uh the library editions is the way they have the the forward by Scott Alley and the afterward by um Mike Mignola each time, and they kind of fill out the picture and give context. And I get the feeling that um occasionally. Mignola tells little white lies in them to kind of cover what he's really doing because he knows that he's got something ahead sure. he can't reveal too much right. and so he's he's white lying a, a little bit and you know like one of those things where it's like in a future library edition he'll like gently walk it back or something like that you know right. okay. um, yeah well, uh, like I'm kind of curious to ask him about this certain thing that I can't mention yet but anyway. oh, okay oh nice Ooh. I do find it interesting like I'm also talking about like um he, in one of them, he was talking about the creation of Hellboy. He made it a superhero team book in, in um, Seed of Destruction because that's what you did in the 90s. Like, right. what he wanted to do from the beginning, though, was, like, basically have Hellboy as a character in a fantasy world, you know, sort of, like, almost Conan-ish, I guess. Just, like, kind of as this wanderer wandering into things and having adventures. And he's, like, so saying, you know... If it was a different era, maybe I would have tried that. You know, like it's it's just fun to find that sort of stuff in these um these little notes. And it's like it's just a little snippet. Like it's a barely a paragraph, I think, in the um in one of the library editions. But it's just enough to paint a picture of like, wow, that's that's really cool. I wonder what that would have been like. Oh yeah. I, I like looking at the original version of the bprd like in the beginning it was really like a team book and like um i think (laughs) there's like this one guy with crazy hair and he's like that might have been johan or something like that you know what i mean Uh, yeah yeah yeah, the um johan we talked a little bit about that oversized black and white hellboy in hell that i got in europe and ryan yule has it as well he says the death card hardcover book by delacort is great i was able to buy it on amazon uk after Jerry Turnbull pointed it out to me. And he posted a comparison of an original page with the black and whites. And they were pretty similar. It was pretty interesting. And so I'll Go share uh, some pictures of that as well this week. Techpad De Sequoia said, Thoughts I had while listening to episode 89. Every time John said, For whom the bell toll, I wanted to scream, Time marches I'm on. Like, no. <laughs> it's so hard not to. I, I feel you. I was there. I was there with you. <laughs> When Danielle said, I don't want everyone to know what a big nerd I am, says the woman who co-hosts a Hellboy podcast. Look. (laughs) (laughs) When you were talking about those... It's all right. uh, We won't tell anyone, Danielle. The Star Wars... You left that in there? Look, I'm making my business so not listen to this, but come on. <laughs> Matt and I had told you it was too late. Already. All right. It was too well, late to cut that out. I thought you were being sarcastic. <laughs> he also said... 
are those shapes God? Anyone's interpretation could be whatever, right? Yeah, I mean, you can I mean obviously, sure. You oh, yeah, no, yeah. of course. I'm just like, I, I yeah. personally think that's such a limited thing to, to put on that. It's yeah. kind of like you're putting a case on it, you know? It's a little more, more grander I, than that. Yeah. I kind of like the way uh, Mignola phrases these things when he talks about it in the books and that, like, um, he'll have characters that you can tell they'll say God, but, like, when it's um, someone who knows a little bit more about the world they don't say god they say the power you call god there you go. and i oh, like right. that that you know that like there's just enough distance there that you know like god is a, a a word that we use to describe something that we do not understand at all like you know the whole idea of a personal god and everything is a very human thing that doesn't encapsulate even a fraction of what that thing is sure i, th- I think some of the characters yeah. also say gods Right. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. I think I think we've had a couple characters yeah. that have said that too. And he also said, "I was just thinking about getting the shapes tattooed on me." Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. We got another person on board. Thank you again for keeping me company as I work through the night. Good hearing from you, man. Eve's Turingi said, "John Dunn, Amelia Dunn." Yeah. So we talked about John <laughs> Dunn. He had that quote in the beginning of "For Whom the Bell Tolls." And then Amelia Dunn is the their version who did the true secret history of the world. So yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Just their names are similar, right? Do you have Hellboy the Companion at all? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. So you've read the um, Amelia Dunn passage in there? Yeah, not in a long time, though. I have to go back and maybe we, uh, I'll, I'll look at that for next week. But um, I haven't read that book in forever, to be honest. Probably when I first when it first came out, I read it. Well, because um, basically Amelia Dunn did not exist in the Hellboy universe at all. You know, like we'd never heard any reference of it. And then this companion comes out and it had a page. You know, like if you go into their character profiles list, there's this character listed and it says Amelia Dunn and we've never heard of her. And you go there and there's an entire page about this character that's never appeared in the comics, never mentioned in the comics. Hellboy in Hell 10 was the first time she was actually mentioned. Oh, Um, okay. Yeah, like it's very interesting that he held off on that for so long. But um, yeah, it's I recommend revisiting that because uh, that's that's very interesting to read. Okay, yeah, for sure. I would definitely, we'll look at that for next week too. And I think Drew Campbell actually sent me a message also saying that, that um, she was first mentioned in The Companion and then in Hellboy in Hell. Yeah. So yeah, that's so strange. I, I thought for sure we had come across that before, but I guess not. Uh, I think um, you may have come across the book that she wrote, but n- um, no mention of her. Oh, The True Secret History of the World, that's come up already? Yeah. I think that's been mentioned a couple of times. Ah, maybe that's what it was. Okay, cool. Lassa Jurgensen said, Aubrey John and Danielle at the end of Hellboy in Hell. And he posted this panel. It's these two skeletons and they're talking to the monkey. And they say, Hellboy, do you ever think we'll see him again? I should think not, the monkey says. I'm going to miss him, the other skeleton says. And he goes, I'll let you guess who is who. So one of us is the monkey in there. Probably me. And then you, you and Aubrey are the skeletons. I don't know. I'm going to be the monkey because the monkey was smoking. You don't need to be smoking, Joe. Oh, okay. There no, you go. Bad. Thanks, Aubrey. <laughs> We're the what, though? The skeletons. <laughs> Good job, Aubrey. Hylonymous said, hello again. About those shapes, the first thought was that they are somehow connected to the platonic solids. Perfect shapes connected to the building forces of the universe. Them waiting for Hellboy in that house. I got the impression that this was kind of like the boss, as in the creator, waiting to welcome Hellboy. I imagine there being Morgan Freeman's voice saying something like, Come here, boy, sit down, we're long due for a talk. So I had to look up these platonic solids. I found this uh, article on Gaia.com called Platonic Solids, the Language of the Universe. And it opened up with this (laughs) quote. It, It had this quote by Galileo that I thought was pretty interesting. It says, Philosophy is written in this grand book, the universe, which stands continually open to our gaze. But the book cannot be understood unless one first learns to comprehend the language and read the letters in which it is composed. It is written in the language of mathematics, and its characters are triangles, circles, and other geometric figures, without which it is humanly impossible to understand a single word of it. Without these, one wanders about in a dark labyrinth. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting, and so that article went on. Um, it talked about, I think there's five platonic solids, 
and but three of them are similar to the shapes you know from hellboy so i thought that was really interesting mm. that's an interesting wormhole to go down um i kind of went there one time uh like looking at the platonic solids and there's some interesting uh videos about uh the mathematical properties of the platonic solids and how that translates to fourth dimension uh so and then the fifth dimension and and that is you can really get lost in that stuff, but it's so much fun. I don't know. I I, I kind of get into the, you know, the geeky math side of that and go, hee. Yeah, no. And, and we tried to, I guess, talk a little bit about that. Matt was talking about some of the mathematics around the perfect shapes and around squaring the circle and stuff like that. Yeah, you, you have to see, um, like, the like the five-dimensional um, platonic solids when they're um, represented in 3D. It looks really cool. Do you have like a video or something that uh, that references that? Uh, I could probably dig it up from my YouTube history at some point. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, I would love to see that. That's very interesting. It's one of those things where like the first like t- eight or ten minutes of the video, you're kind of not sure like what it's even talking about. And then at a certain point it like clicks and you're like, oh, oh, that's really interesting. And then it starts getting, yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah, that's totally our jam. <laughs> and Matt Strackbine also commented, yeah, so we're missing Matt this week. He said, this was a really great episode. Makes me proud to be part of the podcast. Yeah, I thought that was an amazing episode. I thought we did a really good job on that. I was really proud of it. And um, that was a lot of fun. And we also mm-hmm. had a lot of feedback from you, Mark. Um, do you want me to read your comments from Twitter? Um, I've got them open here, actually. Oh, okay, so Just perfect. I, like, I, I, I couldn't even remember what I'd said. And I'm <laughs> reading it now. I'm going, oh, my God. God. <laughs> no, but let, uh, let's talk about some of this. Do you want to just go ahead and uh, talk about some of your feedback that you had at the end of Hellboy in Hell? Okay, so... Oh, God, this theory. <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> anyway, no, this you're is with, what I do. You're with I like-minded peeps. So at the beginning of um, Hellboy in Hell, uh, number 10, there's this whole thing where... Um, we get this like exposition about like, you know, the first fall of the watchers, the second fall of the watchers and the fight that happens between them. And it's sort of odd that, you know, we've been reading the books for as long as we have. And Mignola's held off on this information until the last issue. I mean, like that you could have easily skipped over that stuff and not included it or had it in a spin-off somewhere, but no, he chooses to drop it right there. And I think that's for a very specific reason as you know, these are the guys that were formerly Watchers, and these are the Watchers that would have been with Anum, the Watcher who reached up and grabbed the fire from heaven, and out of it they made the Oldraham. And when everything went to crap, they also were the ones that turned on him and killed him. Right. So my theory is basically that when Hellboy disappears at the end of uh, issue 9, instead of it being, you know, like Hellboy summoning some power from himself... I think that's him giving into the will of the hand. Um, Anum's spirit, I think, still lives in that hand. It's right. the one, one surviving fragment of him. And basically, it's him passing over the wheel to Anum. And Anum becomes, you know, like, becomes basically Watcher Hellboy and storms across this uh, landscape and takes the revenge on uh, all the other Watchers that had condemned him and killed him. What? That is so crazy. That's a great one. I love that theory. So yeah, like then when Jerry was like saying that whole thing about like, you know, him reaching up with his right hand to, to, with the lightning with the Vril, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's obviously Vril. Yeah. Yeah, because they even colored it like a different, it didn't look like lightning, you know, the way that they made that effect in the stone hand. I'm always curious about that stone hand because I, I remember saying something to Mignola at some point and he... He indicated that there's a very good reason why um, you see the stone hand in the island where it was like after the statue that um, had the hand inside it came to life and murdered a whole bunch of um, Hyperboreans and got the stone stained red with the blood of um, Hyperboreans, that stone hand is just lying on the ground and we sort of don't see what happens to it. It's just left there. You jump forward to when Hellboy is born and... Azale's got it, and he puts it on baby Hellboy. And it's like, what happened in that gap? Right. Like, that, there's a very good reason why that gap exists. And um, I don't know if Mignola ever will explore it, but he had an idea at least at one point to explore it. 
Oh, wow. That would be amazing. Wow. Yeah, I feel like Azale's story still hasn't been told. And there's so many ways he could approach that material too. He, he often um, approaches things in ways that we're not expecting. Like, you know, he could have done a mini series where it's like, oh, and this is the story of the Watchers and everything. And this is how they fought. And this is, you know, who Pluto is and all that sort of stuff. And instead he has this like really cool sequence where it's just at the beginning of Hellboy and Hell 10. And, you know, like we wouldn't have expected to get that information in that way. Right. I, I don't know. I, I like that he doesn't always take the uh, obvious route. When we were talking about, like, what happened when he was pinned to the tree and then he's gone and there's, like, blood and fire. So what? Did he become <clears throat> the Vril? Did he become, like, the lightning? Or, I mean, what is your thought on that? To me, that's his... He has become Anim at that point. Wow. What is that? How do you conceptually... What does that look like? <laughs> <laughs> um... To be honest, I don't like to think of it. It's it's one of those things where, like, whenever um, Mignola draws the Watchers, I don't think of them as literal depictions. Like, he keeps the, like, especially um, in the island when they're at full power, they're basically just, like, flame with, like, hands and eyes. So it's like it's like a personification yeah. of just raw, real energy kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I, I don't really imagine them as being a, a physical form. Like, you know, wh- when you see them as these human-looking giants, that to me, isn't their Watcher's natural form. That's their fallen form. That's the version that anchors them to the Earth. I really like that. So it kind of goes a little bit with what Matt was saying, that he became fire. You know, if he became the Vril or whatever, the flame with arms or whatever, that's basically what it would be. Yeah, that's really Mm. great. It really kind of goes along with that theory if you kind of look at it that way. I love that, Mark. That's so great. Just another different way to think about this. Man, there was something else that I was going to ask you. Oh, we talked about, you know, another theory that Matt talked about last week that really blew me away was that Yosef, how he broke the helmet, and then when they show him in hell, he's got the suit is still intact. So do you think that that Mm. was like a projected version of him? I wanted to ask you about that. That's a tricky one. I don't know. Like, because one of the things I, I like um, that they they drop in there just to kind of give an indication of um, what's going on there. So um, when we get to the end of End of Days, there's that um, whole scene where, you know, he um, frees Vivara. And when we catch up with him in um, Come at the Hour, it's almost like you can imagine that scene from End of Days playing out. Then they wander out of the office somehow through the shadows of the wall or whatever into this forest. And it happens within a few minutes of each other. But there's a line of dialogue where they say that Yosef's been missing for a week. I I love that uh, they're already indicating that like time is getting really, really weird for him and he hasn't even noticed. And uh, I kind of like that, that hell just, it's this really weird mess of like, you don't know what's real and what's not. So, Mark, did you have any other thoughts about Hellboy and Hell that you wanted to share? No, I think I think you like you covered it pretty well. It's just one of those things where, like, um, in preparing for this, I was like, um, looking back through it, and it's so easy to get sucked back into it again. Yeah. Like, oh my god, do do you ever find that? Like, you know, when you're trying to prepare your notes or whatever, that um, you you suddenly lose time, and you're like, oh. It's been 15 minutes and all I've been doing is staring at these pages. Oh, that happens to me constantly. I'll start reading again and then I start looking for something else. And then I'm like, wait a minute, what am I supposed to be doing right now? I'm looking for this one specific (laughs) Guy Davis panel that was redrawn by Lawrence Campbell. I can confirm this. And all of a sudden I'm reading a trade and I'm like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I had that when I was writing Hell Notes occasionally where I'd like, I'd forget one specific detail that I needed. Oh, it's in this book. I'll quickly check it. And it'll be something like, I need to count how many bongs there are in this issue you know because the the top the number of bells may be relevant and um i'll get like halfway through lose track of counting start reading and go oh, god damn it yes that is so funny yeah that happens to me all the time but yeah um th- this was uh so hell we in hell 10 um we have this thing uh i've spoken to like the other mignola versity reviewers about this and we don't believe in a perfect issue so we've, we don't give tens. It's just something like I, uh, we find another, a lot of other websites, you know, hand out tens like crazy, but like pretty much our highest praise is like a nine or a nine and a half. We don't really go higher than that. And uh, when I got to the end of, uh, so Hellboy in Hell was one that I didn't get an advanced copy of it. So when it went live, it's about six o'clock in the afternoon in Australia, got the issue immediately at six o'clock digitally. 
read it and uh, then had to write my review so that it could go live at 2 a.m. Yeah, I had like this little eight hour window to basically experience it and then write a 1000 word review. Jeez. That was an intense review to write, I gotta say, because when I got to that last page and the shapes were there like i wasn't expecting to see the shapes in the final issue i don't oh, know yeah. why but you know i, should I wasn't have seen either that no i wasn't either but it was yeah. one it was one of those things seeing them glowing in the light like that and everything it was just like i like i saw that image and the thought that immediately went through my head was oh my god he's never gonna draw a full hellboy story again like that was just the thought that just popped into my head immediately. That was him saying, "I'm putting the pencil down." Oh, wow. Wow. And the Whoa. second that happened, I just burst into tears. <laughs> just like, <Wow. laughs> like it really got to me, and like I had to process it. And yeah, so like I, it was a really tough review to write, just because it like I was like, how, how can you possibly like digest this Aww. in less than eight hours? Like it just it you can't you just can't do it. Um, but anyway, it, it was one of those ones where, like, I'm writing it and I got to the point, I, I hate having to put a score on these things, but they insist. And I got there and I was just like, I can't do less than 10. This is perfect. Like, it's Hell just yeah. an absolutely perfect work of art in as much as any work of art is perfect. I love that. I love hearing your reaction to that. I also like that you got it with everybody else. You know what I mean? You had that kind of, like, communal experience. and. How did you interpret that, the shapes and all that? I mean, we talked about it pretty extensively last week. Did you have any other thoughts beyond what we had, all the stuff that we discussed? Because I'm sure there's plenty more. Well, actually, I keep finding new ones all the time. Um, there was, uh, so I, I was writing a review about um, Screw On Head recently, you know, because the COVID-19 thing's going on. We're looking back at older material now. Uh, my co-reviewer mentioned his interpretation of the shapes while we were doing that review, and um yeah, he was talking about how for him it's memory and legacy and all these things tied to, uh, like, because, you know, there's that, that bit at the, in uh, The Magician and the Snake right at the beginning where it says, written by Katie uh, Mignola, age seven, written by Mike Mignola, much, much older. And uh, there was an element in that this is the thing that you give to your children kind of thing, if that makes sense. Mm. Um I'm I, like I'm not explaining it very well. He'll he'll say it much much better in his own review. But I just liked these extra elements that like I'd never considered that angle. And I was like, I, I for me every time someone pitches a, a theory, uh, rather than say, oh this is what my theory is, I like to take a little bit of that and then just add it to my stock pile. Like yes, it's that as well. And I've just got like I'm kind of just slapping yeah. more things on it all the time every time I hear a new theory. That's great. Yeah, I love that. But yeah, for me the uh, the initial response to those shapes showing up was that I'm done, I'm finished. That, you know, like, it's over. That that finality of, it wasn't about um, Hellboy at that point, it was about Mignola. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially when you think about how it's his living room and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really cool. That's the good that. I just got that. Delivery picture you just sent me. Yeah, so I just I just sent that to you and Danielle so you could see that picture that Jerry Turnbull sent me. I tried to send it to you, Mark, and I had some sort of error, so I'll, I'll send it again. Cool. Yeah, I like that. I uh, like how he turned his uh, air vent into a frame picture in the. Um... <laughs> That's good. And Mark, you also sent us um, before we started recording. You sent us this picture, which I'll definitely be posting on the social medias of all the Abe covers. Uh, no, that's not the Abe covers. That's the Abe pages. Right, right. So that's every right. single Abe page assembled in um, thumbnail strips that so that you can wild. see the color progression. And I really wanted to show you that just because, you know, you've finally finished reading Abe and and you can look at the whole picture now because I love that before they started this, Scott Alley sat down and told Dave Stewart the entire shape of this thing and Dave Stewart had a plan going in of, you know, like, like, he had a color shape that he was following for this story. Um, I love that, you know, like all the moments of green that you can see throughout the story. There's not very many of them at the beginning, but they're all, whenever they show up, they're very important. If you turn to those pages and right. see what's going on there, they're very, very significant. And you can see that as you get further and further down, there's more and more of them. It's a cascade of green building throughout the whole thing. I love that the red um, that they introduce near the end. Yeah. Like, you know, you can see it in the last few issues. That red is basically, you know, the devil you know arc looming over this one. 
I love there's this huge island of, uh, you know, like yellow through the yeah, middle. Of, you know, through where, the middle. Um, that's the, the denial period. And it's so funny because you look at it and you can see when green suddenly pops up again. And that's literally the moment that Abe stops being in denial. Wow. Um, you can see pops of fuchsia throughout this. And every single time fuchsia appears in this, if you point to it and then look it up in the book, you'll see it's something about hell or about demons or about the zombies. You know, like this is it's awesome. thematically connected to that material. Yeah, it's really amazing I to like, look at yeah. it in this way. Mm. I like that in the beginning too, you'll see uh, like there's bits of green that lead Abe away from the BPRD as he's going to look um, at himself, you know, like uh, to, to find out what he is. Because initially he starts off with good intentions, you know, like he's going to go to um, the Salton Sea and try and find answers about himself. And you can see there's some pops of green referencing that he is looking, but there's also these big expanses of white and emptiness and... I don't know what it is about that, but that is incredibly cool. Yeah, that's you know, in like, the very you, beginning, you, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I just, I really, really love seeing the colors this way. The color progression is fascinating. Yeah, this is super fascinating. I've never seen any comic series laid out like this. And just kind of be able to see it and like this and see the color progression because you can see the, the individual shapes kind of, but zoom in and it gets a little blurry. But this is actually mm. like something you like to hang on your wall yeah yeah it kind of frustrates me that anytime someone talks about color they're always talking about it you know like in an interview or whatever they they showed the images and all the images are about it on the micro scale i'm like yeah but so much of what a, a comic artist does is the macro scale it's just we don't realize it's happening i mean it's so great to see all 22 pages laid out and see you know how an issue moves Super cool. I think uh, I think you had also given us some feedback while we were reading this series about like whenever it's green, like that's a certain soundtrack or it's a certain like theme reoccurring. And I think you can that definitely goes yeah. along with the color theory that you see when all the issues are laid out like this, especially like you were talking about all those really green spots or all the kind of like yellow brownish in the middle, you know. Those are all kind of yeah. different. Yeah, and there's, there's um, different kinds of green too. Like there's a, a sickly green that's very has a different meaning to the like that cool blue green. Right, green. right. Yeah, that's beautiful, Mark. Really cool. How did you discover yeah. that? Were you you already knew that there was um, a color theme going on in this series, or it actually happened while I was writing the reviews for Abe Sapien because I was um you know like. I like Dave Stewart's work, but I was not mentioning him very often. And then it got to um, The Garden. And The Garden, like the, the first one, um, issue 12, when, you know, um, Grace is, uh, when he first meets Grace. Uh, and so that whole issue was using colors to break up the scenes in very distinct ways. I couldn't not notice the colors in that. And I kind of, to try, uh, as I was writing the review to track it out, I, I opened up a thumbnail view in... Um, photoshop to see them all side by side and after doing that like uh whenever i went to a new issue i'd just like look at it that way to kind of get that distance and i started noticing some patterns and and then of course there's some stuff that dave stewart does that where he was like being super obvious about it in a in a cool way like um there's that moment when with vaughn when he finally catches up with abe just before he's about to die and um he's told by strobel to do something and he fights it and I love the way you see that whole background. It's like, you know, these browns and everything. And there's that one panel where he's like, his head is tilted down and you can see he's thinking or fighting something. And the background of the panel changes to green. There's no reason for green to be in there except purely as an emotional, um, you know, like it's meant to be read emotionally. It's meant to be Super read cool. the way we um, read music when we listen to yeah, a movie. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Just encourage people to go back and reread these things and pay attention to the color because there's so much stuff going on in it. That's super cool. You know, Matt and I always talk about this is definitely a series that lends itself to a lot of repeated readings and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I'm definitely going to go back now with that eye and kind of look at that. Even within Hellboy and Hell, I think there was a lot of interesting things going on with the color. You know, and I didn't really notice mm -hmm. it until we got to The Spanish Bride. But there was really a huge uh, difference in the color 
be- between what was going on and yeah it just this universe is so rich in its artfulness i think that you can keep going back and finding interesting things with the lettering we've even talked about that you know the lettering how clem robbins will do some of the onomatopoeias or some of the sound effects and stuff mm-hmm. like that and there are so many different aspects in going back and looking at this material again it's really satisfying thanks for bringing that up yeah all right so thank you guys so much and this has been a great episode um even though i didn't have anything prepared so you know i'm gonna keep on resting and getting better and hopefully next week we'll be back on our book club schedule if not you know we'll be back on our book club bullshit yeah there you go but if not we'll just do something else like this or something like that because i think that this was a lot of fun and i'm so glad that we could have mark on the phone to be able to talk about some of the theories with him too because we had a lot of revelations last week and we had some great listener feedback. So again, thank you guys so much and keep giving us feedback on the stories and on stuff that we discussed today. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Uh, we know it was a shorter episode this week, but we still want to hear your thoughts. You know, send us your feedback on the last Hellboy and Hell story and Ape Sapien story that we did last week. You can send us, uh, hey, you damn guys, at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean website. As always, a special thanks to Paul from Garteheim for the uh, music. Yeah. We love it, as always. Special thanks to uh, Mark Tweedell for helping with the reading order and joining us on this episode. Yeah. We love you, Mark. Good to have you here. Thanks. And thanks to John, even though he <laughs> really didn't have to, he still put an episode together for this week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I get, got to. Get well soon, man. I'm wanting you to get better soon, dude. Love yeah, you. thanks. Yeah, man. take it easy. And thanks to my dog for waking up, jumping up, and running right out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> you can find the podcast on Podbean. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, I promise, we're reading Hellboy, Weird Tales, The Children of Black Mound, Lobster Johnson, Action Detective Adventure, Midnight Cowboy, Haunted, Love Story, and Hot. So, I hope you've already read read it and just be prepared for next week. (laughs) And if you haven't, now you can. And join us next week on the Hellboy Club Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm a damn guy. I'm Mark. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, you're an idiot, Starscream, when we slip past their early warning systems <laughs> in their own shuttle and destroy Autobot City, the Autobots will be vanquished forever. <laughs> <laughs> we just watched we this the other day. We were just watching that. Yeah, yes. we were like quoting along with it. So that's, that's, that's great, very timely. Yeah. Synchronicity. Do you, know what we're, do you know what that is, Mark? Oh, shit. What are we going to do now? <laughs> <laughs>